scripture reading this morning will come from Proverbs chapter 19, verses 20 and 21. It can be found on the Bible in the pew in front of you on page 576. Proverbs 19, 20 and 21. Listen to counsel and receive instruction, that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel that will stand. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It really does encourage us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We've already mentioned several great things that have happened. Glory be to God. God is so good to us and blesses us richly with so many good opportunities and the resources to meet those opportunities. I want to just quickly uh, give a big thank you to all that worked recently at the Parents' Night Out. This was kind of like a pilot program, and uh, the, the first episode of this was with with the Faith Builders and Firm Foundation class, and it went really well. So some of the other classes will be rotated in to this. And Lauren Moss, who's our children's program coordinator, organized this, and about 70 nursery to fifth graders came here to the building. There were 25 high schoolers that worked, as well as four elders and their wives. And it was just a great intergenerational activity. Uh, but it was a blessing to the parents. It was a blessing for the kids and everybody involved. It was just a win-win all the way around. And everybody that participated in that, uh, big thank you. Big thank you to you parents that raise your children in the Lord. Uh, you are the most important link between your child and the Lord right now uh, in their lives. And, and we just are so thankful for you. You make a huge impact, we know, in their lives and the lives of this congregation. Appreciate Lauren and all the good work she's done. Uh, when we look past over, uh, back over this past year and think of the ways that we've been blessed as a congregation, the addition of Lauren Moss has been a huge blessing, and we're so thankful for her. Also, keep in mind, if you have adopted one of the children... Uh, for Christmas from the local elementary school that a couple of our deacons have worked with, Jason and Sean. Uh, today or tonight is the time to get those in. Several of you have already gotten them in, but if you can, try to get those in today. Also, a quick reminder, the elders, deacons, ministers meeting uh, that was originally on the calendar for today is not going to be on the calendar. And very soon, just a few weeks, we'll have our uh, retreat in the very beginning of January. And so uh, be listening for more details about that. Also, I uh, just want to give you, I've mentioned this several months ago, and, and several of you have said, I see these laying around and, and I don't know what it's about. And so let me mention again quickly, uh, it's, it's such a blessing because uh, you are a part of it as a congregation, and then also we're all going to be going through this. This will be our theme for next year. Just like this year, the theme has been Marvel, uh, and hopefully that's been a blessing to all of us. Uh, but this theme will be one word, and every uh, reader will receive a daily devotional book, and it's a Monday through Friday, one page, very simple devotion. And so each week as a congregation, we'll study a word. For example, if I preach this morning on redemption, then your daily devotional that week, you'll read Monday through Friday devotionals on redemption. Uh, there'll be parts of the year that we will study some of this together in Bible class. There'll be other times that we'll study in uh, morning worship or the evening worship, or even during fall focus or uh, summer faith. 
But throughout the year, we'll be studying this together. But on your own, you also will have the opportunity to continue on a daily basis, pretty much, uh, that opportunity of study. Uh, Philip Jenkins and his father, Dale, and Andrew Phillips and his co-worker, Chad Lambin, and myself began working on this concept about 18 months ago. And uh, the result of a generous uh, donation from the estate of Miss Ann Craddock, uh, the elders decided to take a portion of that and use on this project. And so the result is that uh, we're able to work with about 70 writers through the Brotherhood and work to create these two booklets. And the result of that is a lot of people are wanting to use it. As a matter of fact, uh, there's over 15, close to 16,000 already sold. And so uh, tomorrow morning early, there'll be about 8,500 delivered downstairs and several men have already said they'll come in and help move the boxes and package them and label them. And so if you're one of those that's already volunteered to do that, that is still on in the morning. Uh, look forward to that throughout the day, anytime you can come and go. We've been looking at marvels, things that are set apart, things that accomplish so much good that only God can be involved in it. Have you ever thought about the very simple aspect of plans? There are things that God has planned that anytime man tries to take over those plans, it fails. Can you imagine building like a very beautiful garage apartment without any plans or a French country house with a modern look without any plans or a raised top coffee table or an outdoor fireplace or a barn to entertain in or even an origami or what about a great life you see everything that we have just illustrated demands a plan now you could have a master that could produce those to a T. And you can have someone else that says, oh, I know, I know how to do that and watch them build. And when you get done, the one that, that is bullheaded and rushes forward in ignorance, thinking they know how to do it, what their finished product is compared to the master that knows the plan and follows the plan's finished product is no comparison. Listen, there's a reason why some lives look like a wreck. And some lives look so well put together. The lives that you know that are the most well put together is because the person living that life has surrendered and said, I can't put it together myself. I'm not wise enough to have my own plans. I'm not smart enough to just make it happen. Instead, I submit myself to the Almighty who truly knows what is best. Have you thought about four major areas of your life. And I'm not saying these are all the major areas. But I want you on this next screen, I want you to think about the major areas of your life, home, church, work, and government. Do you realize that every one of those have been designed by God? You didn't come up with those. And the generation before you didn't come up with those. Do you realize that he has given much counsel because he was the designer and he knows what will work. He knows what will not work. And the question is, are you stubborn will? Are you bullheaded? 
Or have you surrendered your life and said, Lord, I want you to give me counsel about my home, about your church, about work, and about government. Earlier this year, we've studied already some about the home. We've also studied some about the church. So today, what I'd like for us to do is spend some time this morning and tonight looking specifically at these topics from the idea of God's plan. And let's just say that there's about 1,100 here this morning. What if we went out on a day-to-day basis for the next month, the next year? What about if everybody here lived in their workplace, allowing God to design their life in that workplace? Can you imagine how the reputation would start spreading about that Mount Julia Church of Christ? <laughs> wow. You, you'd hear people say, I've never been there, but have you ever worked with somebody from there? It's amazing. Like they're, they're not late and they do their job and some. And like they always have a good attitude. I've never seen anything like it. All I want to see on a resume is, do you worship at the Mount Julia Church of Christ? If so, you're hired. Can you imagine? That's what it would be if we all lived the faith. And it's not because we've set out to be workaholics. It's, not, it's just simply a matter of faith. If we followed the counsel of God about this, it would be amazing. I want to share with you just a few verses to get your minds churning. One has just been read. I want to, I want to show it to you again now that you have this in your mind. And look, if you will, in Proverbs 19 and verse 20 and 21. Again, he says, listen to the counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in the latter days. So see, the idea is we can be wise if we listen. Okay, so now who are you going to listen to? Your own heart, other men's hearts, or are you going to listen to something else? 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. What is in your heart? Well, if you are a sincere person, the thoughts of your heart are sincere. In other words, you're not being hypocritical. But now pause there. Does that make you right? So you cannot be hypocritical and still be wrong. So in your heart, you may have very sincere thoughts. You may even say, in my heart's my deepest desires. This is the way I really want to be. Well, that's, that's easy to believe because that's what dwells in the heart. You can also say in a man's heart, next slide, please, guided, that our heart can be guided by convictions. Well, that would be a good thing because it'd be a bad thing if what you believed was right in your heart, you didn't set out to do. That would be you violating your own conscience. And so when you think about this, when you look at that first list of three things, a lot of people would say, wow, that's the way to live. That's the way to build a life. Oh, really? Just because you are sincere in your heart about something, just because you have deep desires about something, just because you are guided by convictions. I've talked with individuals that are in the midst of affairs of adultery, and they have given all three of those as reasons why they should stay in the adulterous relationship. Those things have nothing to do with how to build a life if you're looking for a standard. What's going to create the standard? Well, we can either listen to God's counsel. Remember, he said, it will stand. Or we can just plow through life saying, 
Lord, if I believe it deep in my heart, that's what I'm going to do. Deep in my heart, this way we work around the place I work. I don't care what you say. Deep in my heart, I know how to get a promotion. I don't care what you say. Deep in my heart, I know what I've done for generations after generation. I'm doing it just like my grandfather did it. What guides your life in the workplace? Are you really willing to listen to the counsel of God? When you became a Christian, did it dawn on you that God has given very, very specific teachings about you and your work relationships? My guess is a lot of us would have to say, no, it didn't dawn on me. Because you know what? When we first become a Christian, we're an infant. We're a babe. So then as you learned later on, were you willing to yield your life and allow God to mold your life? Here's just a couple other thoughts before we dive specifically into this topic. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. You see, that's what he was talking about earlier. You can live by the plans of your heart, but it won't stand. It'll eventually lead to destruction. Or you can live by the counsel of God and it will stand. In other words, when we look at Psalm 119 and verse 115, he says, depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word. Why? That I may live and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Why would we listen to the word of God? Why would we listen to the counsel of God? That we may live. There is a health. There is a spiritual well-being in the lives that listen to the counsel of God. As a matter of fact, in that same chapter, back in verse 18, he says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things from your law. Do you believe that the counsel of God that gives us law, gives us directives and guidance, puts boundaries in our lives, do you believe that it contains wondrous things? Now, when we're young in the faith, we can believe it from an intellectual standpoint. God, you've said it and I believe it. But once we've lived for a while, not only do we believe it from an intellectual standpoint, but we believe it from living life. And we see how much better life is when an individual says, you know what, God, the directions your law gives, now that I see the sowing and the reaping, now that I see it lived out, now that I see it over time, it's marvelous. It's wondrous. It is amazing how your way is always right. Your way is always best. So today, we're going to study some things that in, in some ways it's going to fly against our fleshly nature, our earthly nature, and it's definitely going to fly against what we see on a daily basis and maybe the, maybe the way we've lived for a long time. And so I've given you just some of this intro from Scripture just to really urge us. It's really going to come down to, do you believe in the plans in your heart or do you believe in the counsel of the Lord? And when you go to work tomorrow, which one are you going to live by? And I want to challenge all of us. Let's give the Lord our trust and our heart. And even when we say, I don't know how this is going to work out doing this. Let's trust him enough and see how it comes out. So today... We'll talk primarily this morning about work and maybe even have to finish up a little bit of it tonight and then about government. What about work? It's been wrongfully said 
many times that work was the punishment that God gave Adam and Eve because of sin. And because of that, work is a curse. You'll remember that the punishment was handed out in Genesis 3 when in that same chapter, the sin of Adam and Eve was first committed. Let's go back to Genesis 2 and see what we learn about this perfect garden that God created. In Genesis 2 and 15, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now, the root word, the primitive root, if you look up that Hebrew word in a lexicon, and, and it's probably going to say something like at the very beginning, it's going to say the primitive root for tend is work. That's why the newer translations, if you're reading out of NIV or ESV or some of the newer translations, it's going to read literally like this. They place them in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. This was before any sin. This was when we describe and say, God gave a perfect environment for man. This was almost paradise because where paradise goes back ultimately to garden. So like this was this perfect garden. This was this perfect paradise on earth. Everything man needed was right in its place. And up to this point, man had not sinned, so man hadn't defiled it. And God created it in perfection. Look how wonderful this is. And what was man doing in that perfect place? Man needed work to do. Man needed responsibility. Man needed to be productive. Man needed to have something to do with his provision. Listen, you and I cannot be what God has designed for us to be if we are not productive people. I know that for some, and, and I think it's not nearly as popular as what it used to be, which is a really healthy thing spiritually, but you know, the idea of I'm gonna work as hard as I can and I'm gonna retire as young as I can and I'm just gonna sit back and watch the grass grow. If that's really what you wanna do is you want to retire so that you do nothing productive, that's where someone in the Christian faith has to have a wake-up call and says, there's nothing wrong with retiring from one job to do something else productive, but there's something very wrong with the mindset that says, I want to retire and do nothing. We can't be who God designed us to be and have an attitude that says, I do not want productivity in my life. So what are we supposed to do? with this production that's in our life and the resources that come from production according to God's plan. What are we supposed to do? Look, if you will, in Proverbs, the third chapter. In Proverbs, the third chapter, I'd like for us to list some things that the Lord would say and, and some of them he puts in an order and others of them, they may not be specifically in a certain order, but they're all very important. And I want us to think for just a moment, what are we supposed to do with our provisions? In Proverbs 3 and 9, he says, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase so that your barns be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, the idea of first fruits was the idea that you would go out and you would work to produce something. And when the harvest was gained, you would take the very first fruits of your labor, because usually in harvest, the first was the best. You took the very best of your labor 
and you gave it back to God. So when we say, well, why should we work? The leading reason that we should work is because we always want to have something, the first of it, the best of it, to give back to God. Well, why? Because it becomes an element of trust, including an opportunity of spiritual growth. What kind of faith does it take to say, you know what? I'm not only going to give first back to God, I'm going to give sacrificially back to God. Well, what am I going to do at the end of the month? Well, what if there's not enough? Hmm. It just became an element of trust whenever you give to God first. You see, there's no trust involved when you say, you know what, I'm going to go out and work and I'm going to receive a paycheck and I'm going to do what I, what I feel is really needed and then I'm going to do what I want to do and then I'm going to just kind of do with some extra money and then if anything's left, I'll give some back to God. Well, you may have given, but there's no way, no, no way you've given in a way that pleases God because God doesn't need your money. The reason God is asking you to give first is because it is an exercise of faith for you to grow spiritually. The first fruits is an element of trust. How much do we trust God? So God says, I want you to go out and I want you to work. But as you do that, I want you to think you're the one that has given yourself health. You're the one that's given yourself this income. It's, it's always me that is providing. So to help you remember that, give back to me first. And I'll continue to give back to you based on how you've given to me. First Timothy 5 and 8, let's see another thing that we're to do with our provisions. First Timothy 5 and 8, this is a long paragraph. We're only going to read verse 8. But in this long paragraph, he's talking to how individual families should serve the widows in their physical family. And then how a church family should serve their widows in their church family if the widow's physical family does not exist or is not there to provide for them if they have a need. And so he would say it like this, but if anyone does not provide for his own, and here he's especially talking about you would think the implied is like your, your, your intimate, your close family, but even your grandmothers and your mothers and your aunts that, that are widows, if you do not provide for your own and especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so we say, well, okay, God really wants me to work. Well, what does God want me to do with what I make? Give back to him first and second, provide for your family. Even provide for those that may be older in your family and they are having a struggle to provide for themselves. Well, that's, that's what the American government's for. It is interesting, isn't it, how retirement plans, Social Security, and other benefits from the government have really, really alleviated younger generations from taking care of older generations. That is interesting. But you realize that any time those other things are not being offered as a resource, you can't then pull the old deer in the headlight. Look, you, you, you mean, I had, I had a middle-aged couple say to me one time, I know my mother needs a lot, 
But do you realize how that would take money out of our banking account? <laughs> Hadn't studied work lately, have you? Out of scripture. Like that should be the reason when the alarm clock goes off early in the morning, you say, whew, it's hard to get out of bed this morning. Oh, wait a minute. This is my opportunity to provide for my family. Is your family worth it? Please tell me you don't go to work just for money. Oh, I worship my money. Every time I see my savings account, my IRA's getting higher and higher. That's what I trust in. I bow down to my God and I say, I hit the alarm clock and I'm going to go to work for my God, my bigger, bigger portfolio. It's wise to save. But that's not the main reason to go to work. Go to work to have the first fruits to give back to God. Go to work so that you can take care of your family. Go to work so that you can provide food on your own table. We've studied this recently here as a church family in our, matter of fact, I guess we're studying it today in our Bible classes. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, 11. We'll just mention this one and you can study it more in Bible class. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, for even when we were with you, Paul is saying, because he was with them in person, as you know, but now he's writing back and he says, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busy bodies. And you know that they had some real misunderstandings about the second coming of the Lord and that probably tied in the reason why they were not working. And, and really, he just goes back to some simple principles. God expects you to work. God doesn't expect you to be leaning on other people to provide for you when you're perfectly capable to provide for yourself. Now, I want to put a big time out here and, and realize when you start reading through the book of Acts and even when you go into 1 John, what do we see? We see that there are times probably in everybody's lives where they need help from someone else. That's not a bad thing. And so maybe there's, maybe there's some kind of health issue in your life where you say, you know what, I've always been able to work and provide my own food, but right now I can't. That's not a bad thing. That's the way God designed it. We're supposed to help each other. And so this isn't, hey, you can't ever take the benefit of someone else's generosity. It's not that teaching at all. The teaching is if you're capable of working and you're not working and because you're not working, you don't have an income and because you don't have an income, you don't have food. So you're going around and you're asking people to provide food for you. Oh, I'm very capable of working, but I've got a federal program that I just provide my food. Really? So some way the federal program makes God's word non-essential? It doesn't, does it? Oh, well, I mean, I, I could work, but I don't want to work because, you know, I'm 35 and mom and dad still, they still feed me. Oh, so the word of God doesn't apply to you because your mom and dad is your God? Your mom and dad's going to feed you? If you're capable of working, you should not be eating other people's food. It's not healthy for you spiritually. It's not the way God designed and it doesn't matter if mom and dad will still give you food as an adult. It doesn't matter if the government will still give you food as an adult. If you are capable of working, you should be providing for yourself. Well, 
Why? One, it's just a general teaching in Scripture. But two, he gives a sidebar here. He says, you know what happens when people have the daily necessities and they don't have to take any time being productive? They turn into busybodies. You ever heard the expression, an idle mind's a devil's workshop? That's kind of what this is describing here. He says, all of a sudden, you become idle people saying you're waiting on the second coming and instead of looking more like the Lord, you've stopped looking like the Lord. One, you've stopped being productive. Two, you started meddling in other people's business. Why do we hit the alarm clock in the morning and go to work? Because usually by no later than eight o'clock, I'm hungry. And if I'm capable of working, I should be buying my own little Debbie. And usually by the time noon rolls around, I'm ready for something a lot more than a snack. And if I'm capable of working, I should be buying my own lunch. But then, finally, I'd like for you to see this. And it's Ephesians 4 and 28. Notice we, we've kind of worked the way through scripture and the first thing that the Lord said, because he said it's first fruits. In other words, the first thing you do with your work, the labors of your work, is you give to the Lord. Second thing, you provide for your family. The third thing, you provide your own food. But then notice this fourth thing, how we resemble God, because God is always compassionate. And so he says here in Ephesians 4 and 28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor. So he says, you know, instead of taking from others and not, it's not paying for it, that's immoral, that's wrong. Don't steal from other people. But, but God, I'm hungry, I need something. He says, of course you need something. But you don't get it from taking from people. Instead, you get it how? But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good. Don't work with what is criminal. Don't work with what is evil and bad. But now notice the rest of this, that he may have something to give to him who has a need. Now again, I, I want you to hear me loud and clear. I know there are times in our life where we're literally the one in need. And, and, and there's plenty of passages that emphasize that. And so if you're at that point in your life right now, I, I don't want you to feel false guilt in this, but I want to talk to all the rest right now that, that you're not in that time of need. And, and yet, if someone was your next door neighbor or someone was an extended family member of yours right now and you found out that they needed $100 this afternoon, it might be that you would say, either I can't or I won't give $100. Well, let me ask you why you wouldn't do that. Why would you not give $10? Is it because it's never gone through your mind that one of the reasons scripturally that we're supposed to hit the alarm clock and get up in the morning, is it, could it be any more black and white than that? We are to go to work to have something to give to people in need. It's pretty black and white, isn't it? And so if I'm going to work and yet I never give to people in need, Maybe I'm going to work for the wrong reason. Or maybe I'm allowing my cost of living to always equal my salary. What happens when cost of living always equals salary? Then when a need comes along, you really feel like you don't have anything to give because you've already committed it all. 
It may be that some of you about this time of year may be expecting a, a raise or a bonus. I want to sincerely beg you to consider not raising your cost of living this year to match your increase. Now, you know, with the first thing you do with your increase is you give the first part back to God. But if you're already having your family and your food provided, why not this year, especially this time of year, let it be a time that you say, you know what? We're going to hold back X dollars every week. And the next time we see someone in need, that's what we're giving. We're not going to pull the O, I just don't have anything to give. And look, there's some here, if you set $5 a week back, it'd be sacrifice. And there's others, if you set $50 a week back, it'd be sacrifice. And so I'm not, I'm not suggesting that you and I need to figure out a way to set down some astronomical, but I'm saying, doesn't God teach us that we should go to work so that we always have something to give to those in need? Tonight, I want us to come back and I want us to look at a passage where the Lord really speaks to our attitude in the workplace. And at the beginning of this lesson, when I gave you the illustration, I said, like, what if, what if employers said, wow, I would love to be able to hire somebody from the Mount Juliet congregation because this is the way they always work. Tonight, we'll study that passage in Ephesians that really sets an amazing standard where, where it literally becomes an issue of faith of how we live. Okay, we, we have been looking at a marvelous plan that God's given us. It's a plan how to use our life to gain resources to benefit the cause of Christ, those that we love, and even needy people that we may not even know them very well. Those are reasons why we get up and work every day. I know that there's some cute humor in the bumper stickers. I owe, I owe. So it's off to work, I go. But if that really is why you go off to work every day, I want to encourage you to study why we work and really try to turn that into something very different in your life. So work is a beautiful, positive blessing. Is there anything we can do to help you this morning grow closer to God? There's marvelous plans that God has for us and the greatest plan is that of redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's amazing the plans that God has made for us to have life not only here, but for an eternity. And if you're ready this morning to be immersed in Christ or you're ready to be restored, if we